So it is March 14th. It is 2012. Our message this evening is one life, family, and nation. One life, one family, one nation. Our message starts in Joshua 10. So tell me when you're there, and when you're there, we will take off in flight. There. In 1022, good job, Jacob. Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me. The five kings we're talking about are five Amorite kings that dared to stand against the plans of God. They dared to be the resistance, the adversary to those who were called of God. Verse 23, so they brought the five kings out of the cave, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon. When they had brought these kings to Joshua, he summoned all the men of Israel and said to the army commanders who had come with him, Come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came forward and placed their feet on their necks. Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. Rock Kazak amongst. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you are going to fight. Then Joshua struck and killed the kings and hung them on five trees and they were left hanging on the trees till evening. This is a familiar Bible story. We all know that the sun stood still in the previous part of the chapter. We know that Joshua represents Jesus because his name is Hoshea, salvation. Very, very similar in Hebrew. One thing that I want to point out as we move in this message, though, is that this is an utter, complete victory. It's a victory over all five. The five were so humiliated that they were laid down on the ground, and even army commanders came and put their foot on the necks of the enemy. Would you say that's defeated? That's so defeated that that is the symbol of victory, is one man standing with his foot on the neck of the other. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15 where the victory was promised. You will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. This is utter, total victory. Does anybody here think that Joshua did not have a victory? Is there anybody here that would like to say, no, Joshua didn't beat these guys? But that's not the point of the story. The point of the story was not that Joshua had beaten them. The point of the story was that Joshua was trying to get every Israelite to understand they had total victory, not a partial victory, not a victory that could be taken. Their foot was on the neck of the enemy. You know why? Because Joshua gave it to them. You go read the 10th chapter of Luke in that light and you might begin to understand when Jesus said, I have given you authority over every work of the enemy, every power of the enemy. Every. Say with me, every. Every. This total victory that Joshua had was meant to teach the people that they had something because of their relationship with Joshua. Turn with me then to the 38th verse. I need you to hear this. This is going to be one of those, wow, I'm going to write this down because I don't know what Eric is talking about. Or if you really love me, Pastor Eric is talking about. But I trust him. It will make sense later. In the 38th verse... Then Joshua and all Israel with him went up from Eglon to Hebron and attacked it. They took the city. I'm sorry, that's 36th verse, but it's good, so we'll keep reading it. They took the city and put it to the sword together with its king, its villages, and everyone in it. 
that left no survivors, just as at Eglon, they totally destroyed it and everyone in it. Then Joshua and all Israel with him turned around and attacked Debir. You might write down the word Debir or circle the word Debir. They took the city, its king and its villages, and put them to the sword. Everyone in it, they, how much destroyed? Totally destroyed. You know, one thing that the guy said in, in Austin that was funny, I said, hey man, uh, are y'all open for business? He said, like, totally. <laughs> so, wow, I'm back in 1982, California, with my, with my family. Like, uh, totally. What does totally mean? It means completely, they completely destroyed. They totally destroyed. If you like it in Texas, they teetotally destroyed. They left no survivors. They did to Debir and its kings as they had done to Libna and the kings and to Hebron. They totally destroyed the people of Debir. Turn with me to the 14th chapter of Joshua. This does not in any way relate to Debir. But you're smart enough to hang on to one nugget while we move on to another subject and we'll come back. Is that fair? Yeah. Even if it's not fair, it is what we're doing, Rick. So praise God they're with me, right? So here comes the sixth verse of Joshua chapter 14. Now, the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. Praise God, that is the beginning of the victory. The man had convictions. Your what is a conviction? This is something that you are so strongly per persuaded about that it begins to control the way that you act. Don't tell me that you have convictions if it does not affect your daily life. So I'm going to ask you people before we move on, what are your convictions? Where has the Holy Ghost shown you are lines that are simply not crossable? They're, these are defining boundary marks for my life. I have to tell you there are times that I don't know where the boundaries are, but when I've crossed it, I found one. And it becomes a conviction. For me, this is not good. For me, this is where one stops and the other begins. These are called convictions. And somewhere in this man's life, he had a conviction. And one of the convictions was, if God said it, it is possible. Come on, this is a good conviction to have. If God said it, no matter how impossible it looks, it is possible. The Gospel of Mark says it this way, with man, all things are impossible, or with man, impossible. Things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. He had convictions. Where are your convictions? Did they come to you from a denominational headquarters? 14 points that you should agree upon. Is that a personal conviction? Convictions are things you've wrestled with. You've had experience with. Brother Joel has a conviction. That getting thrown out of an abortion clinic might be worth it because a life is saved. That's called a conviction. Come on, friends. Convictions are not just what happens to criminals. Convictions are not just when a judge throws the book at you. In fact, a conviction might keep the judge from throwing the book at you. Because if judgment begins with you, if you judged yourself, you would not fall under judgment. 
Our life begins and ends with where has the Holy Ghost shown us our conviction should be. Some things might be okay for Matthew, but for me, I have a different conviction. Some things might be okay for me, but for my mother, she has a different conviction. Where are your convictions? And if the answer to that question is, you know, I don't know, then you know what else you don't have? A relationship. Because every relationship has certain boundaries. Dustin and I are friends. Because we're friends, we'll do certain things. But we don't do the same things that I might do, say, with Jennifer. Right? Because we have convictions. Our convictions fall in certain places. Some are obvious. Some are not so obvious. The devil is a master of putting you in a position that tests your convictions. Because if the matter's not decided above beforehand, you know when it's decided? When you cross the line. Yeah. So Jesus had convictions before he went into the desert. He had convictions before he was asked the question. He had convictions. Another way to say convictions, friends, is character. He had Holy Ghost character. I'm going to tell you the truth because I love you and I'm a pastor. Don't you want me to tell you the truth? Yes. I've never lived anywhere and at any time seen a more characterless generation. A generation with less convictions. And before we dump on the young people, let me tell you whose fault that is. It's your fault. It's your fault because it's our job to shape their character. It is our job to teach them where those boundary stones lie and tell them you cannot move them. So I did teach them. Well, was your goal to convey information or to produce a product? Some people are great at raising children and terrible at raising adults. Our goal is to teach people to have right thinking, right character, right love for the Lord, a relationship with Him. This man had convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. Your convictions will protect your heart. They will keep your heart from becoming polluted with sinful thoughts. Your convictions will protect you in a way that keeps you steered at what is right. When I say convictions, you mustn't think that I'm talking about a ridiculous list of religious rules. Most of you that know me know that I am way outside of the religious rules system. But you will not meet very many men that have stronger convictions. Because I am in love with the Lord. And I no more want to offend Him than I want to offend my wife or offend my children. I care very much what he thinks about me. What motivates you? When you get up each day, why are you going out of your house? We need to have convictions that drive us, friends. We need to have a thought for the day that is, my Lord wants something from me today. And it's my joy to give it to him. It's my, it's my privilege your obedience is what you have to offer him. This man had wholehearted obedience. Verse 9. So on that day Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance. It will be your inheritance and that of your children forever. Because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. One man with godly convictions. One life that is thoroughly devoted to him always, always yields more. You show me a man who has no fruit in his life and I will show you a man that has no godly 
convictions. Because if you plant the right kind of apple seed, friends, you are going to get an apple tree. If you go back and that tree has got no fruit on it, year after year you planted the wrong kind of seed or it got corrupted. You understand what we're saying? This is why Jesus cursed a fig tree. A fig tree is supposed to produce figs. If it doesn't produce figs, then it's not much of a fig tree. Jude called men who said the right thing, but lived badly. They had changed the grace of God into a license for immorality. Jude calls them clouds without rain. Clouds are supposed to produce something. Caleb's life would produce something. It would not just be him, but an inheritance for his children forever. One life, one man will affect one family. One family can affect one nation. It never starts and stops with you. It was always that God ministered to you so that you might take it to others. Caleb is such a man as that. Watch where this goes. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive these 45 years. Since the time he said to Moses, while Israel moved about in the desert. <laughs> 45 years. What do you think Caleb's quality of life was? I'd like you to think about that. What was he spending those 45 years doing? Hanging out with a bunch of people waiting for them to die. And were they in the will of God, experiencing the blessings of God, the prosperity of God, all the things that the silver suit preachers and their jets talk about? <laughs> no, they were experiencing the judgment of God. And what was Caleb doing? He's right there with them. Does he sound depressed? Does he sound embittered? Does he sound, oh, hear this, you'll love this, Americans, like a victim? I didn't do nothing wrong, and look at the way my life's going. Listen to what he says. The godly man with godly convictions, look what happens. He says in verse, hmm, latter part of 10. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me the hill country that the Lord promised me that day. The hill country is infested with the worst of giants. It is infested with the most difficult people to uproot. And he is 85 years old. You know who in Israel is older than him? Only Moses. Only Moses. You know how I know that? Because anybody 20 years old or older had died except Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. They had died because God was displeased with them and Numbers 14 said he scattered their bodies in the desert. So we have Grandpa saying, give me the most difficult task. I will go out and whip it. Do you hear me? I'll tear it. I'll spank that, Mike. That's what he's saying. Okay, he didn't say I spent that. That was the King Eric translation. He didn't shy away from the difficulty. He'd been hanging around for 45 years with less than completely faithful people. But his convictions were unwavering. Now give me the hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, 
I will drive them out just as he said. Where was his conviction? His conviction was that if God said it, I can do it. If God said it, it doesn't matter how old I am, how limited I am. If God said it, I can do it. There is no victim in this. There is no depression in this. There is no downcast spirit in this. You know what there is in this? The opposite of all of those things. Complete faith. You know why he had complete faith? He didn't let anything pollute it. He protected it. He hung around rabble for 45 years, but he guarded that which had been entrusted to him. He guarded it. And you're going to find out he transmitted it. Come on now. We can hear how bad off our generation is. We can hear how bad our nation is. What we have been given is incorruptible if we guard it. Some of us need to learn not to give our pearls to pigs. We need to learn not to just throw away our convictions for the sake of the common or vulgar. We need to stand with God no matter how difficult it is. got to tell you the truth. When you stand and it's difficult, it only deepens your conviction. It doesn't erode them. But every time you give a little inch, erosion is taking place. And before long, there is nothing left but a ridiculous empty shell of what you should be. Are you hearing me? I'm your pastor. I love you. I absolutely, I'm proud. To, I am so proud of most of your lives. But if I didn't tell you these things, then I wouldn't be much of a pastor. We could stand here and I said, Michael, they're all champions. I say, hey, Derek, man, every day is Friday. But at the end of the day, what would that do to deepen your conviction? At the end of the day, what will that do for Chandra's child? At the end of the day, where does that leave Samuel? At the end of the day, how does that affect the world around you? Fat, happy, and dumb. That's how the devil wants us. So I thought it came to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, I'm telling you, if you are fat, happy, and dumb, he already has. What he never could accomplish through adversity, he has completely accomplished through affluence in our nation. You know the difference between America and India? It's not the false gods. We all have those. It's not the demonic religious spirit. We both have those. The difference is the Christians there know what they're doing. They know what they're up against. We've been blinded by the things that are around us. Caleb didn't let him be himself be blinded. Turns me to the 15th chapter. What was that word I asked you to remember? The beer. Look at the 13th verse. In accordance with the Lord's command to him, Joshua gave to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, a portion in Judah. Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Well, that's interesting. Hebron. Hebron was one of those cities that Joshua already won. So he gave it to Caleb. Arba was the forefather of Anak. From Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakites, Shishai, Ahaman, Talmai, descendants of Anak. I thought that Joshua already defeated Hebron. I thought he already killed their king. I thought if you finish reading the 10th chapter, he went through and totally leveled the land so that there was peace everywhere. Why are there still people there? <laughs> Let us keep going. Verse 15. From there he marched against the people living in 
why is there anybody living in Debir? I thought that Joshua already, what did we say, teetotally, totally, completely, like totally, destroyed the people. So why are there people there? It seems, it seems that what Jesus handed us, the complete victory that He handed us, is something that must be fought to maintain. Because something seems to always be trying to creep in on the victory that He has handed us. Something seems to be trying to tie you up all of the time. There were inhabitants in these cities that did not belong in these cities. By the way, what does it say after Debir? What does it say that formerly called what? Kiriath Sefer. What an interesting thing. You know, I love the Hebrew language. Kiriath Sefer, city of the book. A Sefer is a book. You know what Debir is? It's a word. It's actually an inspired word, the word of an oracle. All of the real battles in your life, friends, all of them will take place around the word. Somebody will creep in and try to monopolize it. They'll steal it. They'll manipulate it. Somebody will creep in and tell you, did God really say? Somebody will creep in and say, well, I know the word says this, but it also says this. Did you notice that when the devil met with Jesus on the sands of Israel, the wilderness just outside Jericho, what did they discuss? The word. As Christians, we love the Word. As Christians, we're supposed to hide it in our heart that we might not sin against Him. But the devil absolutely knows, absolutely knows where the fight should take place. If I can get them to disregard His Word, if I can get them to think wrongly about His Word, if I can get them to misapply His Word, they will actually be serving me while claiming to serve God. Didn't Jesus say a time is coming when people will kill you and think they're doing a service to God? Allah Akbar. Are you kidding? They're fulfilling the book of Revelation before our eyes and think they are serving God by beheading His saints. You know what? We just keep going to Starbucks and getting our coffee. Nobody's concerned. Nobody cares because we've lost our convictions. There's a holocaust happening all around us. There are nations full of children that do not have food. And as long as these problems are all so great and so big, then what do we have to do with it? I mean, what can one person do? A man with convictions, it never stays with just him. A man whose life is thoroughly changed by God, it never stays with just him. It always is transmitted to others. You remember Paul told Timothy, guard that which I've entrusted to you. He later told him, transmit it to reliable men. A man of convictions always has something to offer. From there they marched against the people living in Debir, formerly called Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aska in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kiriath Sefer. You know, it's an interesting thing. Caleb was a great man, wasn't he? I mean, in Israel at this time, who is greater? So maybe you could make an argument for Joshua, right? Maybe you could have made an argument for Moses, although he's not with us anymore. Can we say that Caleb's in the top three? What kind of righteous legacy should he leave? You know what Caleb didn't have? 
sons. That means that Caleb, son of Jephunneh, in a generation's time, would just be a story. No sons. How's that going to work? Interesting thing, though, this battle over a city that already belonged to them. It was Caleb's birthright because he had been born of the Spirit of God. It was his because Joshua had already won it. It was his because Moses had declared it. It was his because God said it was his. All those years before, Caleb says, who is going to go out and fight for it? I will give you my daughter in marriage. You know what this is saying? I'm going to give you a chance to be a part of my family. I will give you a chance to be the bearer of the legacy that started in me 85 years ago. When everybody else said no, I said yes, Lord. I will give you a chance to walk in my footsteps. I will give you a chance to be my disciple. This was an honor. It was an honor. Verse 17. Othiniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's brother, took it. Caleb's nephew said, I have seen him. I know who he is. I don't want to miss this opportunity. I want to tell you, he was already part of the family. But that wasn't good enough. He just had to get closer. He had a chance to move from the outer circle to the inner circle. Am I talking about anybody's heart in here today? Yes. Why is it that in America we talk about, well, I, I, I know that's not going right, but I know that I'm saved. Even if that were true, and I want to tell you, I got a big, fat, I don't believe you in store for you. Even if it were true that you could just be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord and live like hell all the way to heaven, even if it were true, where is the heart that says, I'm on the outside and I've got to get closer to Him? Yeah. Where is the heart that says, I'm not satisfied with seeing Him or knowing Him from a distance? Amen. My wife can see me online when I'm all the way around the world. I can send her a picture, but that just doesn't do it for her. When you love somebody, when you are passionate for him, you can't stand at a distance, no matter what it costs you. You've got to get closer. Don Potter used to sing a song called, I've got to get closer to you, Lord. Something rumbles inside of my heart when I hear it, because it's my heart's cry. I've got to get closer to him goes on to say, I can get my preaching right. I can get my teaching right. But it just won't satisfy. i got to get closer. Othiniel just wanted to get a little closer than he was. So he stepped out and took something that Joshua already said was theirs. That Caleb already knew was his. But somebody still had to do it. Come on now, how many of you know that the Bible already promises you so much? Jesus has already given you everything. But we still have to step out and take it. Ask of me and I will give the nations as an inheritance. He's given us so much. But we have to step out and take it. God said, Joshua, I will give you the land. Moses looked at him and said, Rock, Kazakamaks, I've preached on this before. Be strong and courageous with white knuckled intensity. 
with a grin in your teeth and a warrior's growl. Go after it. These are men of conviction and courage. They weren't deciding in that moment. You know what will I do? It was decided before they stepped up to the line. Friends, these battles are won and lost in the ten inches between your brain and your heart. And they are. Because as soon as the devil realizes it's open for discussion whether or not you'll be obedient, he's quite the salesman. He has no authority unless you give it to him. Jesus said, I have given you authority over every power, every work of the enemy, every scorpion, snake, all of those things. Every. Othiniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's brother, took it. So Caleb gave his daughter Aska to him in marriage. She goes on to ask for even more for her birthright. You know why? She knew her daddy loved her. Come on, sometimes we're not asking to see people born again. We're not asking for a bigger inheritance. Because we've been so wrapped up in sin, we don't feel like our daddy loves us. You know, have you ever considered that your sin's not really even about you sometimes? Come on now, let's, let's just talk shop us, right? When you feel overwhelmed with guilt... You don't even feel like you're worthy of being in the church. Are these the moments that you're running around telling everybody about the goodness of God? Are these the moments that you're having that heart-to-heart -heart with somebody in the coffee shop and you end up praying? It's usually not, is it? Maybe that was the point. Maybe this is not about you anyway. It's all about the devil trying to disqualify you in your own eyes. We all know that sin can be forgiven. But when we continually step into it over and over and over, forgiveness becomes cheap. Grace becomes greasy. And then you get caught in this little problem where if you just move on too quickly, you don't feel like it's real forgiveness. And if you torture yourself for a while, then how am I trusting in the blood of Jesus? And there's this tug of war and it occupies your thoughts. And it keeps you from doing what God has called you to do. And that was the point all along. These men had godly convictions that kept them out of that situation. They avoided it all together because before they had the conversation in their head, they already knew what they were going to do. Your battles will be won and lost in the house of the book. Your battles will be won and lost whether or not you have the sincerest conviction that if the Word says it, you do it and you know what the Word says. Did you hear me? Bible, Bible reading plan in a year? <laughs> you ought to call it the Bible survival plan. How long will we sit around and depend upon other people to tell us what the Word says when we have printed copies ourselves? <clears throat> Why do you think the enemy wanted Kiriath Sefer? Why do you think? I mean, they got their absolute heads handed to them the first time with Joshua. Why would they have creeped back in? They're, they're inhabiting a town that every member was destroyed in, and they're going to go back? Why? 
because this is where the battle is won and lost. It is always over your view and your <coughs> conviction of the word. Do you hear me? We better get them. We better wrestle with it. Don't you settle for my convictions. Don't you ask Cody to write all his down so that you can adopt them. This is not a program to be downloaded. It is a relationship that must be wrestled with. This is where Jacob wrestled with God and had a new walk based on a new conviction. This is where our character changes from Jacob to Israel. This is where the men of God are forged in the furnace of Egypt. This is where our convictions are formed. For the wayward person, for those who say, Lord, Lord, but don't do His will, no matter how pretty they look in church, it's only about penalty. And did I get caught? But for those of us that want to be productive, it's about avoiding, avoiding things that slow the work of the kingdom. Othiniel, son of Kenes, became a son of Caleb. You ever thought what a gift that was to Caleb? Caleb had nobody to carry his name. Caleb had nobody who was just like him. He had daughters that he loved, and they were righteous women. But he didn't have that little one that says, this is how I held the sword. Why not cut his head off? You can do it too. This is how I stood and talked to the other men in the assembly of the leaders. God helping you, you can do it too. But now God is giving him one. One man becomes one family now. How does it affect a nation? In what way does this touch a nation? I mean, this is just between Caleb and Othiniel, isn't it? Where are you at in your Bible reading plans, church? What book are you in? Oh, 1 Samuel, that comes after the book of Judges. Now, it turns me to the book of Judges. In the third chapter of the book of Judges, whose name is printed there? Othiniel's name is printed there. What an interesting thing. The Israelites did evil in the eyes. This is verse 7. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and Asherahs. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan Ratham, king of Aram Neharam, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. My goodness. It sounds like the whole environment has become rabble. It sounds like the whole environment is a group of people who are being punished for their unfaithfulness. What does that remind you of in Israel's history? Does that remind you of the 40 years in the desert? Where would Othiniel gather strength to know what to do? Whose experience would he be leaning on? What family had God grafted him into so that he would know what to do in this situation? What special opportunity did Othiniel have? Does one man's life make a difference? God added to him a family. It was no longer just Caleb. There was Othiniel too. And now Othiniel is in a position just like his father-in-law had been. Verse 9. 
But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othiniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. He was not a brother. He was a nephew. He was a nephew who became a son. And he's a brother Israelite. It's an interesting relationship that they had. He didn't come from Caleb, and yet... He walks in Caleb's footsteps. He's not really Caleb's son. He's kind of his brother, kind of his nephew. But in Hebrew, you're the son of whoever you act the most like. Come on, whose son are you? In the name of Jesus, we've been given the right to become sons of God. Whose son are you? Who do you act the most like? Whose family have you been grafted into that has been put in every position conceivable so that you will know what to do? He too shared in flesh and blood. He too shared in weaknesses so that in every way we would have an example. What did Othiniel do? He did what Caleb did. He stood up and took it to the enemy when everybody else hid. He stood up and took it to the enemy and Israel enjoyed 40 years of peace. You know why? Because one man's life does make a difference. God will take one man and build one family around him. And with that one family, he will begin to hand him the nations one at a time. How many things have been won for us that we do not yet lay claim to? How many things are ours, but we're still fighting the battles in the house of the book? when we should have already had firm convictions that send us for the rest of the promised land. These were the hills that overlooked that filled Judah. What an important battleground that would be for years to come if only Caleb had had more sons. If only there had been some chance for other people to have the same kind of conviction have the same kind of spirit, have the same kind of tenacity. Of course, the lion of the tribe of Judah, to whom the obedience of the nations belong, he's given us the opportunity to be a part of his family, to have his spirit, to have his Holy Ghost grit. The question is, do we want to be a part of his family? preach to you another day, but this ministry was founded on something. It was founded on Acts 16. In Acts 16, some people that had received the kind of Holy Ghost tenacity that Caleb had heard Paul say, had a vision last night of a man of Macedonia. He said, come over here and help us. Why would you go? Why would you go all the way to Macedonia? Surely there are people here that need help. Surely there was somebody in the town he was in that needed help. He tried to go to Mysia before this, and the Holy Spirit stopped him. Apparently the Lord directs our footsteps. Why would you go all the way to Macedonia? Maybe he felt like it was promised to him. Maybe he had a conviction to go preach the word where it had not yet been preached. Maybe the word in him had already caused a decision to be made. So Paul tells his friends, 
they decided. God has called us to go. The one man had a conviction that God was building a family around it. Did it make a difference for Macedonia? They were chained and beaten in a prison cell. But because of that godly conviction, they were saved. <coughs> Macedonian jailer in the 31st verse is the man who gets saved. The man of Macedonia that gets saved. Did it make a difference for him? He's the first Christian man in Macedonia. And you know what Paul looked right at him and said? You and your whole household will be saved. Because one life will affect one family. Are there Christians in Macedonia? Macedonia at this time encompassed almost all of Greece. It's three quarters of the churches that are addressed in the book of Revelation. You have the ability to affect the nations. You don't have sons, God will give you spiritual sons. If you don't have a family around you, God will set you in a family. He wants to pour into you such godly conviction, such Holy Ghost tenacity and grit that you will go after what has been promised. Your foot is not only on the neck of the enemy once, but you know it can be done again and again, and it will change my nation. I had the church Sunday draw names. We drew names of countries to begin to pray because we believe that God is giving us the nations. And I have the Holy Ghost audacity to say what started as a scared teenager who was angry and violent alone in my room can affect more than just my family. That it can affect more than just this church. That the same Holy Ghost that's been being deposited in men since Caleb can be poured into more now and we can take the land. I'm not going to sit back and wait for someone else to do it. If you did not draw names, we're going to give you a chance to draw. If you drew a few, and you have faith for more, we'll give you a chance to do that. This church will be in missions every month. Every single month. We will go somewhere. We will do something. And when we are not on a foreign mission field, we will make this our mission field. Come on now. You've been on a mission trip. On a mission trip, do you worry about how much money you're going to go home with? Do you worry about how much energy you'll have left at the end of the day? No. Did you save yourself, friends, on a mission trip? No. Well, this is a mission field, too. I'm telling you, you are free to stop worrying about all of those things here, right now, in the same way. You don't have strength, God, to give you more. You don't have enough money, get the testimony of terror. Somewhere, you better develop some convictions or else you become chaff that he separates out of the wheat and it's burned. That is the truth. That's what they don't want to tell you in the mega church because you might not show up, you might not tithe, and they might not be able to build six flags over Jesus. Of course, Jesus never had any of those things, did he? I desire that you would have arms with each other, that you would go accomplish this trying to set you an example. It's been however the Lord's just fine with me.
pray you'll develop the same conviction because the world is not big enough to hold us back from God's purposes. Y'all stand here.